good to see everyone out this evening. It's good to have our visitors with us. Uh, we are so happy to have you here and hope that you'll be treated in the finest of ways. You'll want to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. And you've just heard what great singers we are. We can sing a song and the way that it was not written. Uh, Richard, when I was in preaching school, they told us as students, when you make, make a mistake when you're preaching, just don't call attention to it. Most people won't even notice it. I thought we were doing it just like it was supposed to be. So if you hadn't said anything, I would have I thought no different. But it did. I don't, Richard's done that more than once. I don't know how he does that, but he is a very talented song leader. We can see that for sure. I mean, it wasn't a word out of place. That was very impressive. This evening, I want to talk to us for a little while about some characteristics of love. The older I become, the more I want to talk about love. You probably noticed that. Uh, but I, I see now how very vitally important that love is. And love is so important in our lives. Love is so important in our homes. It's so important in the church. Uh, we need to love one another. It's important in our society that we have love one for another. And I'm talking about true biblical love. I'm not talking about uh, some kind of sugar-coated thing that's, uh, that's fake and false and doesn't hold up, doesn't stand the test that uh, it's faced with from time to time. I'm talking about true love. And so when we study about these characteristics of love, we're also learning about characteristics of God. Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 9, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So when we're studying about the characteristics of love, we're studying about the characteristics of God at the same time. We have been commanded to love like God loves. And what a challenge that can be at times to love someone like God loves you and you are to love others that same way. But still the command is found several times in Scripture. Like in John chapter 15, verse 12. The Bible says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That's a direct command from Jesus Christ himself. In John 4, verse 20, the Bible says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Very good question, isn't it? If we can't love one another, then how in the world are we going to love God? We see each other. We live with each other. We've never seen God. Good point. So, how can you tell if you really love your brethren? Every time when I'm in a situation where people are not getting along, they're feuding and fussing and arguing and uh, there's uh, disagreement and there's ugly attitudes and good attitudes. Quite often I observe that more than anything else. And it always takes me back to Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 13 rather, 1 Corinthians 13. Here we have this beautiful description of love. In other words, characteristics of love. And as I examine myself, I can look at myself and say, am I displaying these same characteristics? Do I really love this person? Do I love this group of people? Or do I not? It, it's easy to say I love you, but to really love someone is not nearly that easy, is it? And some people are almost unlovable, it seems, at times. But 
uh, that's beside the fact we are still commanded to love one another as Christ has has loved us. And so how can how can you tell if you really love your brethren? How can you tell if your brother or sister really loves you? Just by a hug or someone says in your ear, I love you? How can you really know? Well, you look for these characteristics. When you see these characteristics, you know that person loves you. When you display those characteristics, you know that you love whoever it is that uh, you're expressing them too. And so, as we look at these characteristics in 1 Corinthians 13, before we go to them, I always like to notice the emphasis that is put on love and the importance of love. Now, you remember this is during a miraculous age, so we find 1 Corinthians in a miraculous setting. And there were those who were coveting certain gifts, and many of them wanted to speak in tongues. They thought they could speak in tongues, but they had it going on. But I want you to notice Paul starts out, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, what's an angel's tongue? I don't know. Uh, he's giving you a little bit of exaggeration there, most likely. He's exaggerating. Though I speak with the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, and have not charity or love, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What good is it, is what he's saying, without love? That's how important love is. So there were those who were able to speak with unknown tongues, tongues that they had never studied, they didn't know, but yet the Holy Spirit would guide them and they would be able to speak and preach the gospel in languages that they did not know themselves. But those that were listening did know those languages. But he says, if you don't do it with love, what good is it? In verse 2 he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Now that's a pretty impressive list of accomplishments. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, wouldn't that be something? When you're simple-minded like me, the whole world is filled with mysteries. There's so many things I do not understand, and it would hurt my little brain to even try to dig in and understand many of them. I like to keep it simple. But if I could understand all mysteries and, and have all knowledge, there are some geniuses in our world, some very smart people in so many different areas. But if you had all their knowledge, and though I have all faith, so much faith that you could speak to mountains and have them move, miraculous faith, he then says, and have not charity, I am nothing. Love is pretty special, isn't it? Love is very, very important to us and, and to all that we do in our lives. Love is so important. And then verse 3 says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, notice, it profiteth me nothing. So he's going to an extreme again. Though I give all my goods to the poor, everything I own, I give away. That's a great thing, but the only problem is when you give everything away, then you don't have anything and someone has to give to you. But again, he's taking these two extremes. He's exaggerating. Though I give all that I have away, the only thing left is myself. And then I give myself to be sacrificed for someone, but it's not motivated by love. What good is it? So, we could study our Bibles. We can assemble every time the doors are open. We can dress in nice suits. We can take the Lord's Supper. We can sing these songs. 
We can go on and on and on, but if we're not doing it because of our love, what good is it? Let's look at some of those characteristics. Realizing how important that love is, and it's something that we must have. I'm going to read these from the New King James, where it says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believeth all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So the first characteristic that is mentioned here of love is that of being long-suffering or suffering long. What a wonderful characteristic. Something that we all need to have ourselves with others and others with us if we're going to build long and lasting relationships then we must sometimes suffer long with each other. Christians are to be patient with each other. When we do not have patience, we create all kinds of problems, don't we? How many times do things work out when we just patiently do what God tells us to do and give it some time and just let things work out without pushing and forcing and causing problems that ought not to be? Because of their love for God, their brethren, their fellow man, Christians patiently endure trials and sometimes persecution and without complaining because we're patient. Those that are patient are also those that are like God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't we glad that God loves us? Aren't we glad that he is long-suffering with us? He's long-suffering with our fellow man. He is so patient. But also, another characteristic of love is love is kind. You've heard me say this a lot of times. It's always right to be kind. We don't need to be ugly. We need to be kind. But actually, strong defines this word that's used, uh, translated kind here to show oneself useful, act benevolently. And so, in other words, act of, of benevolence. In other words, you see people that have needs, you'll be kind. You'll, you'll uh, take care of those needs. You will help them with that. Where there is no kindness, there is no love. Now notice 1 John 3, verse 17. John said, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You see, when we see a brother or sister that has a need, and we do not strive to meet that need or those needs, then how can we say we are being kind? That's not kindness. Kindness means that we help them, we minister to them, we do those things that are right. Kindness can be expressed in our words and in our actions. I don't like when people are ugly, do you? I don't like, I didn't like when my children were unkind to each other and said things that were not nice. We didn't tolerate it. There's no reason for that, to be unkind, to be, um, to not be 
loving in your words and, and also in your actions. But also, love does not envy. Envy is an is a ugly thing as well. Love does not envy. Webster defines envy as painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. In other words, really jealous or it gives one pain to see others do well. So they want the same advantage, but they don't want that person to have it. So love is not like that. Love is never envious, but generous and rejoices in the good fortune of others. Can you imagine being envious of one of your children? Something good, your child is able to build a new home or gets a new job. Can you imagine being envious of your child? No. You know why? Because love does not envy. You love those children. And so when good things happen to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you shouldn't envy them. If you love them, you won't envy them. You'll be happy for them. You'll be happy for them. Also, love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Not puffed up with pride. Love is not prideful. The King James uses the word vaunted. Vaunted not itself. That means to make a, a vain display of one's own worth or attainments. It's that, that one that goes around bragging all the time. Kind of like the Pharisee that went down the temple to pray. Wasn't he just boasting? Wasn't he puffed up bragging about how often he fasted and gave his tithes and all the things that he did? Well, he had a problem with that. Brother Winton says, This trait, which love does not have, will cause a person to push himself forward as being important. It creates a feeling of superiority and is expressed in disregarding another or in holding him in contempt. In other words, the idea is I'm better than you, I'm going to get my way, regardless of what it does to you and others. I'm going to force my way. When you see that, that's not love at all. In Acts chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, you remember that, that old Herod had given a speech. And all the people were really stroking him. They were just really praising him. The Bible says in verse 22, And the people gave a shout, saying, This is the voice of a God and not of a man. Well, he should have shut that down right there. But he didn't. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. You see, he was puffed up. We as Christians have to be careful of that. We must always humble ourselves and make sure that we do not allow ourselves to be puffed up with pride and that we do not go around parading ourselves as though we are better than others. Love doesn't do that. Love demands humility. But also love does not behave rudely. Unseemliness describes improper or disgraceful conduct. It is to act in a manner that deserves rebuke. The opposite of unseemliness is to be courteous, which is to show consideration of others by respecting their feelings 
by being gentle in dealing with them, and by refusing to be hateful or spiteful. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter says this, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another, love as brethren, be pitiful. The American Standard says be tenderhearted. Be courteous. The American Standard says be humble-minded. Peter is instructing us to be of the same mind, to be compassionate one toward another, to love our brethren. That's what love does. It's tender-hearted. It's courteous. It's humble-minded. Love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own advantage, but is unselfish. When people are selfish, they really don't love. In Matthew 7, verse 12, what we sometimes refer to as the golden rule, Jesus was teaching us to not be selfish. And he said, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Of course, he said this is the law and the prophets. Just really kind of summed up the law and the prophets. Treat others like you want to be treated. Be kind to them. Love them. Don't be envious of them. Love does not require its own happiness first to the injury or neglect of others. However, it does not require that we ignore our own happiness, health, and salvation. But there are those that want to be happy no matter what that means to those around about them. They want what they want. They want it the way they want it. They want it right then. And they don't care who they have to injure to get what they want. That's not love. That's not love at all. Love also is not easily provoked. One who loves, con loves controls his temper and is not quick to be angry, but is calm and is not easily excited, so he does not react hastily or harshly. You know, love helps us to control our tempers. Sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, I, have a, I have a bad temper. I fly off the handle over hardly anything. As though, okay, well, you're excused then. It's, it's okay. It's all right to, for you to do that, but not anyone else. No, that's no excuse. Whether you have a short fuse or not, if you love, you'll, you'll work on that. You'll work to control your temper. Love helps you do that. And when you don't, you, it's hard to say that you really are expressing love when you're always flying over the handle, saying and doing things that are very ugly and unkind. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? Why be slow to wrath? Notice verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When is it, as a general rule, that we say things that are very hurtful and ugly? Is it when we're angry? When we get mad? 
Is it when we become angry and mad that we say and do things that are unbecoming of Christians and things that many times we have to apologize for after we calm down? Love is not easily provoked. Sometimes there are those who try to provoke you. They want to hit your hot button. They want to see you act out. And when you know you are in those situations, you must be extremely careful because most everyone has that little hot button and there's usually someone close by that knows exactly where that button is and how to press that button as though that person gets joy out of watching you act like a fool. Be very careful. Protect your hot button. Love will help you to do that. And when you let someone push it, and when you fly off at the handle, realize you've just been defeated. And the devil has won again. Don't let him get away with that. Don't let him do it. Love thinks no evil. This does not mean that we never have an evil thought, because we do. Every one of us, we have thoughts that come into our minds all during the day and the night. I wish that I could say there's a way that only good thoughts come into my mind and there's a way that you can only have good thoughts go into your mind all the time. Wouldn't that be a wonderful life to live? But it really doesn't work like that, does it? That's all we want in our minds. But other things come in. And it's about what we do with them when they come in. We push them out. You've been practicing that for years, haven't you? A bad thought comes in your mind, you push it out with a good thought. You say to yourself, I'm not going to think on those things. I'm not going to dwell on those things. Because when you dwell on those bad thoughts, you end up saying and doing bad things. And so you push those bad thoughts out of your mind. Thinking no evil means that we are not overly suspicious of the motives of others. So we will not always imagine others mean to harm us. Have you ever seen people that they're always thinking someone's out to get them? It's like they're always seeing, you know, a boogeyman behind every, every bush, around every corner. Someone's always out. It's always uh, when they think of people and things happening, it's always in that negative sense. Everyone's suspect. Well, love is not like that. We are not to be naive, of course, but we should think the best until we know otherwise. Now, there are times when people are out to do you harm. They're envious of you and different things. They don't love you. But not everyone. Most people are for you. They're for your good. They want good to come your way. And they're happy when you have are being blessed. But there are those that, that don't love you. And they would like to see harm come to you. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. When we love, we get no pleasure when others sin and when they struggle. As a matter of fact, we feel for them, don't we? We don't rejoice when someone is overtaken in a fault. No, no. Hopefully we're like what Paul instructed in Galatians 6, 1. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 
Oh, it grieves us. It hurts us to see our brothers and sisters yielding to sinful activities, being snared and trapped by the devil. We have no pleasure in those things at all. Not at all. You know, when a brother falls into sin or error, love requires that we refute the error. We don't just ignore it. We try to save them. We rebuke the sin, but we do it with a broken heart. Ezekiel 18, verse 32. God said, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. God had no pleasure in taking the lives of the wicked. He didn't enjoy that. He does not enjoy punishing mankind. He gets no pleasure out of that. He's not happy. He doesn't rejoice when he sees his creation do things that are wrong and wicked and sinful. And neither do we. We want people to do right. We want our brothers and sisters to behave themselves, to love one another, to get along. One of my greatest things in life that I've always wanted and will always want is for all of my children to love one another and my grandchildren to love each other. I want them to love God first and foremost. And when they love God first and foremost, they should love one another if they're being God-like. But isn't that a wonderful thing when, when all of your children love each other, they get along with each other? It doesn't mean they don't ever have a disagreement or a little spat here or there because they do but they have love one for each other. Oh, that just, it just makes your heart feel so good to know that they love and get along. When you have families of, of siblings that will not even speak to one another, can't stand each other, hate each other. That's very sad indeed to see such. That's not good. Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices when truth prevails. Don't you love it when truth prevails? When one obeys the gospel, don't you rejoice? You remember when you first obeyed the gospel? And most likely when you came out of the water, they were singing, Oh, happy day, or something like that. Oh, what a great day. What a great day that was. And now you, you feel some of that. You're touched by that. Every time you see another person do the same thing and obey the gospel. Why? Truth has prevailed. Love loves to see truth prevail. And so you get that, those emotions start stirring up with inside of you every time you see someone obey the gospel or does something good for the Lord or overcome some temptation, some battle this person, this brother has been fighting, and then you see that brother overcome that temptation. Oh, that just gives you uh, so much joy for that person. And when you see those that you've, you've been around and you've, perhaps you've helped teach them and grow them up in the Lord, and you watch them grow and mature in the faith, and you can look at them and you see them doing things for the first time, maybe leading a song or, or teaching a Bible class or giving a devo. And you see those things and it just truth has prevailed again. Oh, love just rejoices in seeing that. When issues arise, those that possess true love, they always search for the whole truth. Have you noticed that? They want all the truth because they want truth to prevail. They 
truth will help to overcome anything. You put truth and love together, there's nothing that we cannot overcome. Nothing in this life. Love also bears all things. Bears all things. Love teaches us to be strong and steadfast under all circumstances. Paul said, quit ye like men. Be strong. Love teaches us that. Mothers endure, many of them, much disrespect and some many disappointments from their children. But you know what? They continue to love them, don't they? I remember hearing my mom say to one of my sisters one day, she said, there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. And she meant it with all of her heart. No matter what we did as her children, she would be very disappointed in us, but she loved us always. That's what we're talking about, love, true love, the love like God has for us, the love that a mother has for her children. Think of what Jesus endured. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 the Bible says, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Yes, when you love, sometimes there will be things that you have to endure, and there will be those that, that you love the most, many times will hurt you the most. But when you really love them, you'll endure, just like Jesus did. But also love believes all things. Believes all things. Love keeps our minds open. That's what it does. It keeps our minds open. When we love our brethren, we believe what they tell us unless there's good reason not to. Because I can't stand before you and say, all brethren always tell all the truth, because they don't. But we want to believe our brothers and sisters. We want to believe our children. Some of my children, when they were small, they didn't always tell Daddy the truth. Sometimes they got caught, and it wasn't pretty. Sometimes they didn't get caught, I'm sure, because I had one little fella especially that could tell you one with a straight face and make you believe it. Unless you saw it with your own eyes, he was extremely good. But I always gave him the benefit of the doubt. I always wanted to believe what my children told me. I always told my children, if you never lie to me, I'll stand with you through thick and thin. It doesn't matter who uh, you're up against. Daddy will be there. But if you ever lie to me, then I'm not going to have confidence in you. And that won't be good. So don't ever tell the first lie, children. Always tell the truth, even when it hurts. And sometimes it hurts. But it pays in the long run. Because your mom and dad will be there for you always. Especially when they know that you're telling, you tell the truth. And so, love really is very positive, isn't it? It's not negative, it's really positive. Love hopes all things, Paul said. Love emphasizes optimism or hope. You, you hope, when you love, you hope for the best. Hope consists of desire and expectation. Love wants others to do right, 
and expects they will until proven wrong. So we hope, we expect, I expect you to do the next right thing. You expect me to do the next right thing. And you believe that I'm going to handle each situation the right way. You want that for me, and I want that for you. And I'm going to believe that until I see otherwise. That's what love does. Love hopes all things. Now, again, Paul says that love endures all things. Now, the word that is used here, according to McGarvey, is translate, that is translated endureth is actually a military term and means to sustain an assault. Hence, it has reference to heavier afflictions than those sustained by the bearers of verse 7. The enduring is not simply that dogged persistency which bears up in spite of adversity. It is an endurance which forgives offense. And so it's more than just being able to handle the attacks that come upon you, but it, it, it goes further to the point of actually being able to forgive those that attack you. Much like we studied this morning as we studied the subject of forgiveness. In Luke 17, verse 4, you remember Jesus said, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again unto thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. That's the idea of love endures all things. Not only will endure the attack, but will also forgive the one that has attacked. First Peter chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, Peter said, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your fault ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and you suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So how does it feel when you do someone good and they return that by mistreating you? Or being ungrateful. You don't like that too much, do you? Uh, but it happens, doesn't it? You know what love does? Love endures that as well. And then forgives the one that has mistreated you. And then he says, love never fails. No, faith, hope, and love, those three, are all very important. You know what? Love endures in this life and it will be in the life to come. And so now is the time to make sure that we have learned these characteristics of love, that we put those characteristics into practice so that we can be like God. And I promise you that if you love, as we've talked about tonight, that love will get you through any difficult situation you find yourself in. But the grace of God. When I think about love, I think about the matchless love of God who gave his only begotten son to die upon the cross for me and for you. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died for those that were attacking him, abusing him, pulling the beard from his face, spitting in his face, slapping him, mocking him, the ones that actually took him and nailed him to the old rugged cross. He died for all of them because he loved them as the Father loved them. He died for me so one day I can live with him in eternity. He died for you because of his great love for you. Everything Jesus did, everything the Father did, all of those things were all motivated by love. And we need to have the same love in our hearts for our brothers and sisters and for our lost and dying world that they had in their hearts for us. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God? If you really believe, you should be pricked in your heart and you should experience godly sorrow when you realize that your sins helped to nail Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. That should make you have a change of mind, which we call repentance, that uh, has to do with a change of life. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, repent or perish, and then you'll want to confess the name of Jesus. And the fact that you believe that he is indeed the Son of God, just as the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And then be baptized because that's what Jesus has commanded, Mark 16, 16, so that you can have your sins remitted, Acts 2, 38. You can have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then if you'll walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7, that blood continues to cleanse you. And one day you'll hear those words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then we will be able to see Jesus one day face to face, and live with him in eternity. And with his Father, the Holy Spirit, the mighty angels, and all the redeemed of all ages, if you're here tonight, you don't have love in your heart, I hope and pray that somehow, some way, you will learn to love, and you'll put it into practice. And if you do love, and I'm sure you do, I pray that your love will continue to grow and abound for God, number one, and for your fellow man. Love the church as Christ loved it and gave himself for it. Love your family. Love your children. If you're here and you need to respond, if we can assist you in any way, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.